0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, your host on today's show. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com will join me. We will talk everything Kerry Blackshear as the Gators land the nation's most coveted grad transfer, a game changer for the program next season. Uh, Everybody that's joining us for the first time, um, thanks for being with us and we hope that you'll uh, continue to join and listen for the rest of the season. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I am with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Did anything happen last night?
1: Um, I, I think it was an off day for the Women's World Cup. So I don't know if you have anything to talk about.
0: <laughs> Luckily, with the Women's World Cup taking the day off, uh, as expected, Curry Blackshire, Curry Blackshire picked between Tennessee and Kentucky and um, chose Florida. <laughs> Yeah, really pulled one out of the hat there. According to a lot of the uh,
1: the national media types,
0: first recruit in a while I can remember to to have only two hats on the table: uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Virginia Tech, which you took off the table right before you selected, and then pick none of those schools.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even I mean, even Arkansas fans, right up until the end, they were they're feeling pretty good too. So, uh, yeah, no, there's a. It was just a really interesting to see. Um, it goes back to you know our, our last podcast that was not long ago, just talking about the uh, just kind of the way it's been covered uh, strangely, and it was just so interesting that um, even though so many people thought Florida was was out of it. It was like, hey, Florida was kind of the favorite from uh, the moment Kerry Blackshear announced he was going to be a grad transfer. Um, one could say he, Florida was the favorite even before he announced he was going to be a grad transfer. <laughs> and then obviously in the end, it, it kind of worked out. So it's another one of those things where it was like, if you kind of look at the, the facts of the situation, uh, it was like, hey, Florida made the most sense from the, from the time that he uh, decided he was going to be a grad transfer. Um, and uh, he ended up that way. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of national media types, uh, including a lot of Tennessee fans who are, who are tweeting out, um, Hey, someone's got to follow the money trail because Florida came out of nowhere to get him. It's like, well,
0: <laughs> says, says
1: what you know about the situation, but that was a whole lot of, uh, a lot of the narrative. I would be lying if I said, I didn't go look at some message boards from some other fan bases and wow, Florida must've dropped the bag because they came out of nowhere to get him. Was a very prevalent thought um, in the fan basis of uh, of, a, of those other teams.
0: Florida dropped a bag. It's so funny in the context of the the FBI scandals that have <laughs> implicated all sorts of programs, but but not once touched Billy Donovan or Mike White. And and I mentioned Donovan just because they obviously go back to prior to White's arrival at Florida. So it's it's pretty funny that uh, I, somebody actually. DM would me yesterday and asked if Florida had dropped a bag as well. And I told him that we spin it all renovating our arenas. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any
1: bags to drop. Can, um, can I, I, I have to make one, one shout out. I would yeah. say I was not very familiar with, uh, with this fan base, but I would say like every single Virginia tech fan has been like super respectful of Carrie Blackshear super uh, you know like hey congratulations Florida fans like you're gonna love them. every every Virginia Tech person has just been awesome no one thought it was dirty no one thought Kerry Blackshear's terrible for leaving no one thought you know I I, I was thinking to myself hey someone who's a, Florida, a Virginia Tech fan is gonna look at um you know like there was a lot of talk about Florida getting um Blackshear like during this season you know like well before it was kind of announced so I thought there was going to be some some salty Virginia tech fans. Um, uh, maybe they exist, but on Twitter, they've just been really cool. So I have, uh, I have a newfound respect for uh, Virginia tech basketball fans on, uh, on the Twitter sphere.
0: Yeah. I'm going to echo that sentiment. And I will say that the saltiest by far have been Tennessee. That, <laughs> that there is just a level of, of salt and, and <laughs> anger and just astonishment, which is really kind of baffling to me. Cause like you said, the like came out of nowhere narrative is so ridiculous because when he first announced he was
1: transferring, everybody was like, well, Florida would make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's pretty interesting to see because I, I would say the Kentucky fans are more generally um, like they just have the, the kind of confidence to just be like, well, we didn't want him, didn't need him. He's bad Yeah. yeah. Um, versus like Tennessee is there's just vitriol and <laughs> contention and salt. <laughs> so that would be the the temperature of the fan bases.
0: Yeah, no, there was a good article by uh, John Hale in the Louisville Courier-Journal. Just, you know, and I don't necessarily agree with some of the conclusions he makes about Florida-Kentucky like not having been that meaningful the last couple of years. Um, You know, but we don't need to get into that so much as it was just a good piece in terms of like expressing that sentiment that, you know, Kentucky feels pretty good. They would have felt a lot better with Kerry Blackshear if we're being honest. It uh, puts a lot of pressure on Nick Richards to produce. Because um, I think they're going to get more from EJ Montgomery. He's going to make a big leap. It's Richards has always been the guy that – and we've talked about it on the podcast that, you know, we know he's good at defense. We just don't know what kind of offensive player he'll ever be, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a, big, it's a big thing for him. And it obviously puts pressure on Nate Sestina, but they already got a big-time grad transfer. And I think a lot of their fans kind of project that confidence. Although, you know, there were certainly some takes yesterday from, from their people like trying to suggest that, <laughs> that, some, uh, that, a, that a 20, what was it, a 2021 player who might reclassify or a 2020 player that might reclassify, well, he'd be better than Blackshear anyway. And I was good to see like Kyle Tucker, who usually spews the hot takes, um, kind of go, yeah, please stop saying that a guy who had double-double
1: in the Sweet 16 is not better than some <laughs> kid that might reclassify so so yesterday um between the time that i initially heard that this was going to be a um a thing for florida and uh you know just a couple use a couple hours before you know kind of the big announcement was made um uh, i went on synergy and i watched every single uh made basket from carrie Blackshear, which was just a <laughs> glorious hour some of my time but um one thing i noticed too is like he was which is really interesting with um with like big men particularly, um, but to just see like he was not like doing this against scrubs, and I know obviously he plays in the ACC, <laughs> but like but like Matt Mooney, you know someone who Florida fans will be familiar with, who knew that he was almost a Gator, um, you know good player. Oh my goodness, he was getting bullied by Blackshear in a couple matchups, and to yeah. see him go against uh, oh Javin Delorier from Duke, like good night, like it was like he in in those matchups it was it was it was barbecue chicken, man. Like so just to watch, so I like I watched every single. I, I watched a lot of precarious black film and I'm going to watch more as soon as this podcast is done. But uh, it was just like, this wasn't, um, you know, like he, there's, he obviously, one, and one thing that's really good about him from a basketball standpoint is he can obviously dominate a switch. If he gets a guard on him, he can take him down on the block, hit a baby hook, no problem. But like, generally speaking, like he was getting buckets, posting up strong against strong big men. And uh, that is going to put pressure on these centers of the SEC. And I know there's a lot of good ones. I know Kentucky's got some good ones. Um, but, like, hey, you think Kerry Blackshear, who's been in the ACC for three years, um, the last year, like I said, dominating some really, really good post players. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he's going to cause a lot of, lot of headaches for opposing centers.
0: Hey, I mean, he had 10 double-doubles. <laughs> <laughs> um, two in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the, they lost a game. To North Carolina in Chapel Hill, where I don't know if it was the first game that Robinson was out or when he got hurt, but Blackshear was like ridiculous in that game. Had twenty, like thirteen rebounds. I mean, just all you know, and that's like Luke May. So, <laughs> oh, oh, Luke May's another one that's he, <laughs> right. Like he struggled. Yeah, just couldn't deal with him. So. Um, yeah, so I mean, so there were definitely some Kentucky ticks, but I did kind of want to walk through that process with the listeners because I think one of the questions that was frequent in my uh, DMs, and I'm sure people are dropping into yours to kind of figure that out is like, what happened? And how did so many people get this wrong? And we kind of talked about it a little yesterday. So we don't need to spend a ton of time on it. But, you know, let's, let's maybe dive into that a little bit.
1: I mean, uh, I'll start with this, and this is kind of a sad reality. Um, this is something that, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, I'm gonna go find it because, uh, I really love the guy. But um, just this, this was first kind of pointed out. If we all, we all remember the game, of course, where um, uh, where it, against Auburn, where Andrew Emhardt gets fouled. Oh, this Brandon Zimmerman from the SEC Network. That's who I was. Uh, uh, he pointed this out um, after, you know, after the floor or when Florida played Auburn, Andrew Emhardt gets mauled uh, no fouls called and they lose and he pointed out that after the game there was no one to ask Mike White a question about it because there was no no you know no Florida beat writers travel with the team and that's kind of like one of the just realities about Florida basketball right now is that there's not um, a huge amount of of coverage right now from from basketball writers Um, and that's just kind of the reality and therefore um, there's not a lot of chances to kind of steer the narrative where there's a lot more for, for Tennessee and obviously a ton more for Kentucky right now so uh, a lot of these sources going around, a lot of the narrative around this was coming from Kentucky and Tennessee because they, they do have the, a lot more of the coverage. And I think that that's where a lot of it started, where it is, if there was an equal number of, of guys for Florida that there was for Tennessee, um, you'd probably see a lot more of, of the truth floated out. I would say there'd be a lot of truth about the seriousness about Florida's chances with them. Um, that would be one of the popular narratives. But unfortunately, there's uh, there's just not a lot of guys out there. And, and kind of showing that Florida was in a good position. And therefore it was the uh, Tennessee writers, the Kentucky writers who had all the control. And when they have all the kind of control in the coverage of it, that's when you hear um, last Tuesday that, uh, that he's going to Knoxville and it's a 10 deal.
0: <laughs> so, so I think,
1: I think that, that actually does have a lot to
0: do with it. And to that point, um, you know, anybody from the athletic that's listening, I'm sure that Eric Fossett would love to cover Florida <laughs> basketball for the athletic, Um. But, yeah, I mean, Auburn has a has a beat rider at the Athletic, the Justice Basketball. Georgia has one. Uh, obviously, Kentucky has one. We talk about Kyle on the show quite a bit. So, I mean, there are – Missouri is one. I'm looking at it right now. So, there's multiple SEC programs that have them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Florida doesn't. So, um, I think that's a big thing. And, and yeah, I mean, Chris Harry was – the Gainesville son didn't send anybody to – to cover the team at the SEC tournament, like like uh, like Eric mentioned, so I think that's part of it. Um, the other thing I would mention, and it's something that I told, you know, there were national writers that dropped in and asked me what I thought was going on. Hey, man, is Florida out? One asked me, uh, big time guy, you'd all know, and uh, you know, of course, I texted back, no. <laughs> Florida's not out and you know this staff if we know anything about Mike White and this staff that we know that they're prepared they have they have always had backup plans and so when Florida wasn't bringing anybody else in when you didn't hear any names like you knew that they were still involved even if nobody would from the program was talking to us for a couple of days I still knew that they were involved and you know I think that that kind of is, is a testament to to the way that this staff just isn't very loud. They're not showy, you know? No, <laughs> they don't, no, not at all. Even, even with national writers, it's not like they're leaking things. Like, oh, man, we're about to land Trey Man, you know? Like, and, and so in a lot of ways, this kind of emulated man's recruitment a little bit because you got North Carolina, a lot of beat writers. You got Tennessee, a lot of people covering that program, especially in the last two years because of how good they've been. And so there was a lot of noise about man going to Tennessee or man going to UNC. And, you know, all you get from Florida
1: is like a sleep well tweet from Jordan Mincy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's totally different. But I mean, you, you even look at the modern like recruit, uh, like, I mean, like not to be like, I, it's not even that I'm old, but I mean, just like the, they recruit now versus like 10 years ago. Um, is just like the kid, the modern kid is so much quieter. Um, they just uh, I think they connect a lot more with the way that like Daris Nichols and Jordan Mincy communicate, um, you know, versus uh, uh, versus a lot of the more old school kind of uh, rambunctious recruiting of, of kind of assistant coaches. And I think you see that too with the quiet you see, like, um, obviously, Kerry Blackshear was extremely quiet throughout this process. It kind of makes sense that he would connect a little bit more with the way that Florida was versus like, like, I don't know if Blackshear saw this at all. But if he's seeing all the Kentucky fans and Tennessee fans and, and Tennessee media and Kentucky media all floating out, this, like, absolute certainty about him committing while he's on their visits there, like, that's got to stress him out versus, obviously, the way that it kind of worked out with Florida. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm also really interested. Like, I mean, I wish I could talk to him and his, him and his dad out of just, like, genuine curiosity to see, like, um, hey, what factors <laughs> did you exactly weigh in? I mean, I can obviously guess um, there's a bit of a – um, you know, rumor that's seeming more somewhat legitimate, too, even about just uh something about uh that w- with the Tennessee roster and with Coach Barnes that they didn't like. But uh, while there's obviously a lot of basketball reasons and, and geographic uh reasons why it worked out for Florida, um, I actually would be interested at in what all uh what all exactly went in, but that's something we'll, we'll obviously never know,
0: yeah. And I think the, the last part of process that I did want to touch on is is and you know, look. I wanted to say – I wanted to give a shout-out to Russ Wood and to Thomas Goldcamp, who I think both covered the program in addition to you and me. And, um, you know, I think we're we're really forthright and honest and good journalists about it and avoided hot takes and avoided this team is the leader and avoided, oh, Florida's out. And so when Thomas and Russ are saying that they're not – and kind of laughing at that stuff, it was reassuring based on the things I was hearing too. And I'm sure for you, it's the same way. So I want to give a shout out to them and kind of mention that one story that all of us got, uh, at least the three of us. And I know, you know, Eric and I talked about it on the pod yesterday. So Eric can chime in if he has anything else to add, of course, but is that, you know, there was a negative recruiting element and this seems pretty well sourced. Um, and however it got back to the staff, whether it was just the Blackshear family asking a question and, you know, maybe a coach for Florida was like, well, why, why would you think that? You know, that's my guess as to how <laughs> it came up. Like, but you know, it's clear that the Tennessee's strategy was to talk a lot about the ways they didn't think Florida fit uh, as opposed to the reasons that, you know, Tennessee was a good choice. And there's pretty good sources now, f- from Russ to, to us to twenty four seven that say, you know, a lot of that stuff really kind of upset the Blackshear family. So that's the little bit of the little bit of insight we do have that I think is well sourced because it's multiple people that were good in this process. Are that you know, for whatever reason, their family was kind of turned off by that, and saw through it a little bit. And Florida staff just doesn't—that's just not how they operate. You know, I, I've been told by players that Ford assigned that, you know, they never even mention other
1: programs when they're recruiting. Yeah. Which is really interesting because I, I do think that, um, like again, like, uh, and you mentioned this on our yesterday's podcast, just about like, uh, negative recruiting is, c- can be like, also not like a bad thing. Like in terms of like, it could be like,
0: it's just it's, a style of
1: recruiting. Right. And, and again, like, I don't think it needs to be terrible, but like, I mean, for example, like if I'm Florida and it sounds like they probably didn't say this, but I would, um, but I mean, obviously like if it's kind of true that Blackshear really wanted to go on a, um, he wanted a good chance of going deep in the NCAA tournament. And then, you know, like if I was Florida, I wouldn't be like, oh, well actually like Rick Barnes is a terrible coach or whatever, but I would point out that like, you know, they had their best two teams, um, that they've had in a long time, the last two seasons, and they've won one more NCAA tournament game than than we did. Like, I, it, like you know, like that's like that might be negative recruiting. But to me, when you're using like facts and stats, um, like I wouldn't mind if Florida did that. I don't, I don't think that's dirty. Um, much like, hey, if Tennessee wants to point out that Florida hasn't had a draft pick um, the last couple of years, I mean, I don't, I don't think that that's like underhanded <laughs> um, negative recruiting. But I mean, uh, so, so I would be interested. I mean it sounds like Florida wouldn't say that, but uh, yeah, if I'm, if I, I would point out that, yeah, Tennessee has done very poorly in the NCAA tournament the last two years with their best team. And I would point out that they barely beat Colgate, who was missing their far and away, their best player. Um, barely <laughs> beat, barely beat Iowa, who um, ended on a two and six run before the NCAA tournament. They were really bad. And then last year, um, you know, beat Wright state and then lost to Loyola Chicago, which I know obviously you know, Florida lost to Loyola Chicago and they went on to final four, but like, You just still look at like, you know, this team had this, you you want, you want to try to have a deep NCAA tournament run. Maybe the coach who had his absolute best two teams in a very long time and won one more, one more game than Florida did in those two seasons in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Hey, maybe that's not your best option, but um, yeah, it's, it's uh, things like that. I don't think would really set off a family or or a player and um, make them feel, yeah, like, oh, that was kind of dirty, but uh, it sounds like what Tennessee was doing was maybe a little bit worse than that.
0: Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speculate on anything more because we haven't done that in this whole process. We're not going to say anything more than we know. And what I know is, is what has been reported by multiple people that there was a negative recruiting element. Of course, we don't know all the things that were said. Uh, we know some of it had to do with white's ability to develop players. Um, and, you know, to that point, I think Eric kind of touched on what the really good arguments are. Uh in addition to you know, kind of now you could bluntly say, "Hey, three NBA draft picks," and you know you probably shouldn't have beaten Iowa.
1: <laughs> um, you know, like Iowa kind of gagged the game away, right? Um, no, they they were literally a contact lens away from losing to to Colgate. Like, yeah, I mean, pretty much. Yeah, so so <laughs> with
0: with three yeah. with three NBA draft picks.
1: Yeah, no, that's like so. Yeah, I mean, maybe I. That's obviously not the style of but I'm like, yeah, if, if uh, even Elskis doesn't lose a contact lens, um, they lose. So uh, yeah, they're, and, and we're not trying, I mean, we,
0: this is an odd, it's not like us to just get really salty and petty on the show, but I mean, that's, that's the, I guess what we're doing is kind of illustrating the risk of negative recruiting. Like if that's your style, you open yourself up to a lot of things. Mm. And, um, and so uh, in the end, that's not really what Florida does. Like, you know, we've talked – Eric's talked to recruits. I've talked to players that have been through the program, and that's just not how White and Nichols and, and Mincy and Pinkins operate. I mean, they're going to talk about Florida, why they think it's a good fit for you. Um, and that's that was always the style under Billy Donovan. So Florida has definitely – that's something that's carried over culturally, and, and Florida doesn't do it. Um, you know, maybe one day Florida will hire a coach that does. Uh, but we'll burn that bridge when we get there. What does what does this mean for Florida? What does having Kerry Blackshear in the fold mean? I mean, you know, I know we we've seen Eric's articles at like Gator Country. If you haven't, go read them.
1: Like, I mean, uh, so obviously, like, I yeah, a lot of the kind of like um, details would probably be kind of more outlined in my in the articles I wrote, uh, just about how he kind of fits in. But I would say, kind of, as a just a kind of grander scope I would say that you know without Blackshear I think in a lot of people kind of nationally including my own would have had Florida kind of between you know 17 and 25th in the country going in I, I mean I think Florida is now in everyone's top 10 um, I talked to someone uh, from a site uh, a good national site who says that he's going to have Florida number two uh, tomorrow <laughs> or I guess today so uh, maybe that's a little bit higher than, than I personally would have them. But <laughs> but I mean, I would say pretty much everyone now has Florida as a top 10 team. I think you'd have, if you didn't have Florida as a top 10 team, um, the burden of, of proof would be on you to uh, explain why they're not. So uh, I, I would say that would be the biggest thing. As Florida goes from like a lower top 25 team to, to one that's going to be in most people's top 10. So uh, that's, uh, that's the impact of who I think will be one of the best centers in college basketball next year.
0: So I have an article coming out Saturday down south. Later today, uh, where I kind of talk about why I think it's a game changer for the Gators. A lot of the things that Eric has discussed uh, are in there. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is just the most obvious thing is he gives the offense balance. Uh, you add one of the best low block players in the country. I know Eric thinks maybe, maybe, maybe the best um, returning low block player in the country. And you add him to a team that already has some really good kind of spot up three point shooters. Um, both Eric and I think Noah Locke can shoot the ball better than he did this year. You know, if he's healthy, um, Trey Mann has outrageous range. Jackus Glover, we both think is going to play right. And I, I do, yeah. And uh, I mean, he can, he can, he can shoot from a long way away. Uh, you know, kind of Treymont Watersy in that respect with his range. If you watch him on video. So, uh, Keontae Johnson is is a better three point shooter than I think anybody really gives him credit for, uh, but the numbers say that you know he hits what about forty eight percent in the corners. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, you know Florida really will have inside out balance. The other thing I think it does is the down roster effect. So I wanted to bring up two other points and just give Eric an an effort, an attempt to, an opportunity. <laughs> sorry to address each one but the first one i'd make is down roster the down roster effect and what i mean by that is so blacks year coming changes roles for players and it puts them in more comfortable roles we talked about this a lot with cavarius hayes like that he really is a guy that profiles more as like a seventh man but was playing starter minutes as like the most important player on the team and i know that You guys can hit us up with all the hot takes on that, but we've, we've, we've crunched the data. Um, Certainly Eric has, and I've just made, (laughs) I've made the argument based on evaluating the data. Um, So Dante Bassett from perspective starter to like ninth man. Well, when you play with as much energy and physicality as Dante Bassett, the way you can now play as the ninth man is so much more effective um and that's just one example
1: what, 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 what are your thoughts about that eric yeah i mean uh having some guys that probably don't uh don't profile as starting centers um yeah now they don't have to be that and uh, to see that like Gorzak Gak can uh can get some minutes against uh some other teams like backup centers versus like having to go um once again we talked about the quality of kind of the centers in the sec um that's pretty tough for uh you know, back to back, back to bounce back from after not playing basketball for a year. Uh, so that certainly works a lot. Um, it certainly makes it interesting now. to like, hey, does uh, what uh, what they do with the four a little bit now that they uh, they do know that um, <laughs> they do know the scholarships are filled and there's not going to be a uh, someone who can really uh, a, a natural four kind of coming. Um, what they do behind Keontae Johnson is is interesting, and uh, it just kind of like it'll be interesting to see if they think, hey, does uh, uh, could we play Dante Bassett at the four some. Um, Hey, do we want to go like super sides and play Kerry Blackshear at the four next to Gorjok Gak at the five? Because we think that Blackshear can move his feet decently in some matchups. Uh, There's kind of that element, too. But um, it is kind of nice to know that uh, you you look at some of the a lot of the big men Florida had on the roster and a lot of them profile just like backup bigs right now, uh, not guys that would start. And it it would So I think the thing with uh, with Gak, too, of course, is that now he gets the kind of battle with kind of backup bigs instead of, instead of starters. And we talked about the quality of some of the centers in the sec and uh, who Florida will see at, um with games like, uh, like Florida state and the non-conference and uh, just to be able to, to kind of play at the level he'll, he'll need to. And it's uh, again, you look at a guy like Korjakak who um, I think that if he's a starter, he's like not a great starter, but as a bench big, it's like, Oh, that's actually a really good bench big and probably a lot better than a lot of other teams, backup centers. Um, so to have some depth in that position, um, a position that has had like zero depth in the last two years is definitely nice.
0: Yeah. Um, it also down roster has an effect on the four, right? Because Blackshear can play some there. You're not going to be square peg round, holding Isaiah Stokes into the four where you're forced to play zone. Um, so, you know, just front court as a whole, it changes things. But one area we were concerned about, we talked about yesterday was what do you do at power forward, you know, if you need to give Keontae Johnson a break? And now I think you kind of don't have to make Scotty Lewis play there as well, which improves your wings. So uh,
1: just a lot of down roster effects. Right. And I mean, uh, Virginia Tech was so small last year. Uh, there wasn't really a chance to see uh, to see Black Black play next to another big. So it's not really something he's done in the past, but he moves his feet pretty well, I think. Um, and, and for that reason, you could probably try to play him at, at the four and go just supersize and have a jumbo lineup, which, um, obviously Florida hasn't been able to do in a long time, but, uh, and and I'm not (laughs) sure if I think that's a, you know, a, a great long term kind of solution, but Hey, if Keontae Johnson plays 30, 31, 32 minutes a game, and you maybe go to, uh, to a GAC, um, Blackshear front court, or if you, uh, see if Dante Bassett, who um like Neil said, if if Dante Bassett is, is playing, you know, ten minutes off the bench, um, he can really go all out and maybe that gives him a chance to um just kind of the energy level to like run with some quicker four men. Uh, maybe something he wouldn't be able to do for twenty five minutes, but something he can do for eight minutes. So uh that will give a chance to um uh yeah, to just kind of have some bigger front courts and, and, and not have Scotty Lewis play the four where um I think that uh you probably would you know maybe you like that matchup uh, in, in some things because it'll be able to abuse them in space but uh rebounding (laughs) might suffer too um uh, scotty lewis is pretty thin um i he's athletic for sure but uh for a team like florida that has struggled to rebound so much recently uh being able to go a little bigger and rebound the ball better um that'll really help
0: yeah and i think uh, you know you you got into the that other thing we're talking about rotations we're not talking about playing him at the four you know primarily or anything like that we're literally talking about two to five minutes of a basketball game, of a 40-minute game. Yeah, yeah. Um, what you so... do
1: when Keontae Johnson's not on the floor, and <laughs> playing the floor. Right.
0: And then the third thing I think it brings, um, you know, because we talked about the offense, we talked about the balance. Uh, he's obviously a very good rebounder, particularly on the offensive glass, uh, which is interesting because it gets into, like, this idea that, you know, offensive rebounding is so interesting to me because to some extent like you can be an athletic beast and just like really impact offensive rebounding and then other ways you can be kind of a technique player like black serious that doesn't have super plus athleticism and still be really good on the offensive glass which is one question we had from sarah in tampa was like she texts me after the commitment it's like super pump and is like why is he so good at offensive rebounding? I thought he wasn't athletic. So I'm going to pump that as our Mm. first listener question to Eric.
1: Um, I think a big part of it is the way that uh, Virginia Tech kind of ran their offense. Um, A lot of it, especially when, um, when it was kind of a favorable matchup for, for Blackshear was uh, was they went four out. Um, Blackshear went like to the low block and uh, just like tirelessly went to post up. The ball would move side to side and he and Blackshear would move side to side as well try to get like a three quarter or a half uh, kind of seal or, or post pin on his defender, um, which just obviously kept him around the, the basket a lot. And uh, because they were so spaced out on the perimeter with four guys, when a shot came up, it was like, there's two guys in the paint. There's Blackshear and whoever he was guarding. And obviously he's got great size. So um, yeah, he's not a great leaper. Um, he's not particularly long, which are usually things that um, contribute to offensive rebounding. Um, see Keontae Johnson. <laughs> But just because he had such strong position, um, there wasn't a lot of bodies in the paint. He was able to, uh, to really kind of just carve things out. He, he, he's a wide body too. So if he's, uh, you know, if he's sealing someone on his left shoulder and the ball is just a little bit to Blackshear's right, um, there's no one that's going to be able to like reach over and get the ball. So uh, that was one thing too. And, and, and I know this is not directly um, as it relates to, to Sarah's question, but uh, like I said, watching all of Blackshear's buckets from last season, um in a quick um back to back to back so on and so forth kind of way Um, i was able to see a lot of the way that they played offense in virginia tech and they did some really really good stuff um, with uh, blackshear at the high post doing dribble handoffs um i might do a video on it um it was really really good and i would be very interested like i would love for just coach white to just straight up steal it because um there was so much that he did that were kind of like instead of doing a pick and roll, it would be like balls in Blackshear's hand. And then he'd be able to, there'd be like two guys crossing behind him that the dribble handoff could go to either one of them. So there was a lot of kind of misdirection. He would hand the ball off to them and then he would roll to the rim. So it was kind of like a a pick and roll, but because it was like off um, uh, two guys crossing, dribble handing off to one of them, they could really attack at full speed. And it gave a lot of the like pick and roll action, but at like, twice the speed because of the, the way you could attack it on the run and I just thought it was brilliant stuff but anyways it, just so much of their offense just um, just had Blackshear near the rim and that made for uh, a yeah, good offensive rebounding position
0: <laughs> So Swamp Kid uh, Kid underscore Swamp on Twitter just tweeted his Blackshear update in case you guys still wanted Blackshear updates and he says I'm hearing the Arkansas visit went really well final twos down to Arkansas and Tennessee but he's also considering Virginia Tech and Texas A&M so
1: in case you guys were
0: wondering what was going on there. Um, Better get the, to my uh,
1: Aggie sources.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I got to hit, I gotta hit <laughs> up my people in the building in, in college stage. Um the, the third thing, I think, is leadership. Um, and I don't mean this as a knock on Andrew Nimhard, who I think is a really good leader, and Noah Locke, who I've heard is a really good leader uh, from multiple people in the program, just that his toughness and his personality is kind of uh, magnetic. And so – you know, Keontae's is obviously a pretty fierce competitor. Anybody that saw him on the floor, uh, particularly the way he got into it with the Tennessee fans after Florida lost up there, was kind of interesting. Um, and we know Scotty Lewis has that piece, but what Blackshear brings is is a veteran leadership presence that it, is gone um, because Cavarius Hayes is no longer around and Jalen Hudson's no longer around. So we're talking about Kavar, We're talking about Blackshear as a guy that's played Cameron indoor. He's played in Chapel Hill, like he's played at at Tucker Arena in Tallahassee, which is a very difficult place to play, believe it or not. Um, (laughs) So, nothing in the SEC is going to
1: phase him. No, definitely not. I I I I do think obviously you played in the ACC. um, Yeah, you just the amount of times that they uh, that you know he's been able to see Duke the last couple of years and 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 playing there, um, playing in the ACC tournament, uh, playing in the NCAA tournament last year. Um, that is one thing is obviously he didn't really have a chance to, uh, you, you look at his, uh, his first and second years. I mean, that was, uh, two early exits for, uh, for Virginia tech. So, um, so, but he did have some experience obviously in this last year came really, they came really close to beating Duke while injured and underhanded. And, um, but, uh, yeah. And I, I just do think that having one of the, and that was uh, you know, I will say again, one person I was talking to, um, just about, uh how he had Florida ranked and he had Florida 11th and he told me, um, it's because he thinks that Florida is so young. Um, just obviously like they're just going to have a good amount of their contributors are going to be freshmen and sophomores this year. Um, and then Blackshear. And I think, yeah, you do look at the fact that he's going to be one of their, or he's just going to be like, you know, the, the one kind of, uh, senior, uh, 50 year guy who has seen a lot of these things. I, I do think there's a lot of value there.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's a pretty big deal in my opinion and something that kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Um, so we talked about, you know, late clock offense, offensive rebounding, offensive polish, offensive balance. Um, I mean, it's just immense. And, you know, the, the, I guess the next listener question then we'll throw out is uh, how do you insulate his defic- de- deficiencies defensively, Eric? Um, somebody wants to know, um, it, how that works because he's not a plus athlete. Is that anything
1: to be concerned about? Well, I would say if there's one concern about Blackshear, it's the fact that he was a really, really poor rim protector last year. And I do think that a large, or I shouldn't say a large, I, I first thought it was large, watched a little more film, thought it maybe wasn't as, <laughs> as big. But one of the elements is just that um, Virginia Tech had zero depth um, right after Kerry Blackshear. If he was out of the game, they had Ty Outlaw who's really more of a small forward. He's like 6'6 and like 2'10. He was playing the five. So they just had no options behind Blackshear. And therefore, I do think he just like avoided fouling just like at all costs. Um, but at the same time, yeah, he's not a great athlete. So he uh, he wasn't an excellent rim protector. And especially given the fact that, um, you know, Khafaris Hayes was an excellent rim protector, especially when it came to rotating over. Um, yeah, you're just not going to get that from Blackshear. So, I, I mean... Uh, one way of saying, like, how do you insulate someone who's not a good rim protector? Um, You don't give up dribble penetration. Uh, That was kind of of an issue for Florida. So, you know, they were a good defensive team, but, you know, Andrew Nembhardt gave up some dribble penetration because he's um, not an elite athlete playing against elite, elite point guards in the SEC. Um, Noah Locke, once he got injured, went from being a a solid defender to someone who didn't have the hip flexibility all the time to uh, really flip his hips and play defense. So, um, yeah, so just for, so for some people to uh, kind of note, so um, I forget off the top of my head, but Kavari says I think was in the like 37% allowed at the rim number, roughly around there. Uh, Kerry yeah. Blackshear allowed 67.9% at the rim last year, um, which is in the sixth percentile nationally. So he was not a good rim protector. Um, so there is some, that, that is one, if there's a concern about Blackshear, um, it would be there. Um, but yeah, I, I do think not wanting to foul played, played some role there. Um, but, hey, if uh, if you've got um, healthy Noah Locke, um, Scotty Lewis, who's an excellent defender, um, Keontae Johnson, um, Andrew Nembhardt improved, um, and you just don't give up a lot of dribble penetration, um, don't put Kerry Blackshear in the position where he has to uh, try to contest a lot of shots. Um, that would be the best way to kind of insulate it.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing is you get more from Keontae Johnson because of Blackshear. I mean, we keep talking about – I keep bringing up down roster effect, but there's also like an on-floor effect to the – to Florida defensively is that Keontae Johnson because there's bigger a bigger body in the post. You know sometimes you had to help Kavarius Hayes because as good as he was defensively, you still kind of needed help right because of size. Even though his footwork was terrific, just sometimes with a bigger big. So when Florida's playing somebody that is bigger, Blackshear can maybe bang with him a little more and allows Keontae Johnson the freedom to come out and defend a little bit more on the perimeter, which I think is useful, especially when you couple that with. With somebody like Scotty Lewis, who's probably the the best defender in in the in the incoming class, and then I think uh, you know depending on Florida's guard combo, uh, Nimhart is a fundamental defender who's still going to struggle with with elite perimeter athleticism, right? But I think Trey Mann is going to be positive in that regard, and and I really think Jacque's Glover is fast, and so you get situations where it's going to be a little harder to get into the paint, which of course insulates him a little
1: bit. I'm also going back to even just the way that Virginia Tech played offense, where like a lot of times Blackshear would either be um, always have the ball in his hands on the high post and um, have to be moving around a lot to, uh, to distribute the ball. Or he would just be, like I said earlier, just like tirelessly trying to post up the entire possession, um, which I think he'll do some of that at Florida. But uh, that probably didn't, t- you know, he put a lot of effort on that end um that maybe didn't put him in the best position to defend always and i think um, florida is going to have probably a little bit more of a balanced offense uh which maybe gives him a little more uh, a little more rest and a little more energy on the defensive end um that's like a maybe I- i'm not going to say that with a hundred percent certainty but um that could play a role because uh, yeah he was doing so so much for them offensively and while he's going to do a lot for florida offensively i think it might be um, a little more balanced than what we saw at virginia tech
0: so we'll give that defensive question to ATX Gator, who asked what type of defensive presence he would be. Um, I did want to I, – I realized we talked about late clock offense off air, not on air. Yeah. <laughs> so a big, a big problem for Florida last season was offense late in the shot clock. And this is the, you know, Twitter hot fire uh, meltdowns that we would see over Florida last season a lot of the time where we played this slow tempo Right. Because we wanted to limit the number of possessions in the game, because when you're an elite defensive team, that's one way of helping you win. That That's that's like one of many reasons you do it. Right, Eric. But Florida was not good late in the shot clock because um, they weren't the greatest shooting team, even though they had pretty good spot shooters and they also lacked guys that could win one-on-one battles off the bounce. So for those two reasons, and they lacked an offensive player in the post with a lot of polish because sometimes, you know, and this is something Jimmy Dykes talks about a lot that I know Eric and I like him and and we talk about kind of uh, how he's good. And one thing he always talks about is defending for like 25 seconds versus defending for 30. And one reason Florida could like, wear out LSU is LSU was not good at defending for 30 seconds. And Kerry Blackshear is a guy who makes you defend for 30 seconds because he's constantly moving and so active in the block. He was a tremendous low post player. For example, Florida's best... Well, no, I don't want to say their best. Their best player in in late offense situations was Andrew Nimhard last year, who had 58 field goal attempts at 45.7% effective field goal percentage. So, he was easily Florida's most productive Laid shot clock player. Um, but primarily Florida went with Kayvon Allen, uh, who took 76 of Florida's 377 shots with five or sec five seconds or less remaining in the shot clock, and Jalen Hudson, who had 50 of those shots. Um, they both were 31.6% on those shots. Those are bad numbers. They're not even like average, they're bad. Um, Carrie Black here led Virginia Tech in such opportunities. He had 77. So as many opportunities as Kevin Allen, His effective field goal percentage late in the shot clock, 49%. And his percentage at the rim, 58%. So you can see how hard it is to defend him for 30 seconds and why he was such a valuable asset late in the shot clock. That prevents a lot of possessions that look stagnant and static from
1: being empty possessions. Yeah, having another guy like that is going to be huge. Because, and again, even watching uh, uh, watching all those makes yesterday, um, you saw some a couple times where he just simply was got the ball in the perimeter, um, two seconds on the shot clock, and he can just turn around and hit a jump shot. And uh, just (laughs) playing centers that aren't going to rush out to him at the same speed as as a guard. um, The way he has a high release point and can just get those shots off um, that helps. And obviously, like hey, if you see there's six seconds on the shot clock. Um, and Kerry Blatcher's on the block, you can just dump it into him, and he can get a hook shot off against anybody, and that's a pretty good shot. Um, and once again, like, a, so Neil was using Hootmath numbers, and then I I, I, look, I was looking at Synergy. Um, Synergy is, they have late clock as four seconds um, versus uh, math has five. So the numbers from Synergy are, like, a lot lower. Where, like, so, like, for example, um, like, Florida, in the last four seconds of shot clocks last year, shot 25.7%. And, uh, yeah, and then Kerry Blackshire, um, he shot 40.7%. So that's obviously a lot better. Uh, but uh, – and, again, when these shots – like, national average in the last four seconds – is like hovers around 30%, obviously, cause they're not, they're usually not very good looks. And I mean, the difference between 30 and 40%, or as Neil was kind of pointing out the difference between like low thirties from Florida versus like just about 50 from Blackshear. Um, that's huge. And those are just absolutely backbreakers for your opponent when they can defend for 27 seconds and then have carry Blackshear drop, step and lay the ball in, uh, <laughs> those are like, those are demoralizing. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing some of those and, and taking a little bit off, like, um, you know, Trey Mann, who can make moves off the dribble for sure and hit his shots, but instead of being like, hey, you got to make something happen in three seconds, go. Um, just being able to have an option like uh, like Blackshear on the block or even Blackshear on the perimeter.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to rapid-fire listener questions. Carson Hart, Hart on hoops. This isn't completely about Blackshear, but do you see the starting lineup as Nimhard, Locke, Lewis Johnson, Blackshear?
1: Uh, I, I personally do. I think that um, kind of the instant offense of Trey Mann off the bench makes the most sense, and I think around – um, I think around Blackshear you just want to have the best spot up shooters. Um so I think that gives um lock the edge over man there just for a starter role. <laughs> Man's gonna play a lot of minutes, don't get me wrong. I don't think that putting him on the bench is a problem, but um yeah, that's uh that's kind of my take.
0: So I think um I think that yeah, I think that's right. I I also, you know, I've I've kind of made this consistent Jamal Crawford but maybe like with a better defensive upside type deal comparison with Trey man, I'm pretty comfortable with that comp and Crawford's made his living. How in the
1: NBA. Oh, just coming in, coming off the bench and hitting shots, instant offense.
0: Six man. So I think Trey man really fits that role, at least as a collegiate player, Um, at least as a freshman, I think it'll be really comfortable for him. And so, yes, I think that's the, uh, where that goes. Tony Aguilini wants to know where Kerry Blackshear's statue will go. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I think when they build the Joe Kim
1: Noah and Al Horford statues, my guess is it'll go right next to them. Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to see a tribute to, uh, to Florida big men somewhere. That'd be good stuff.
0: <laughs> uh, Jordan Press, we didn't use two big lineups last season, even after Stone got hurt with Blackshear. Do you expect the Gators to run two bigs when Chianti is off the floor? Um, We've I- talked about this a little bit.
1: Yeah, we did talk about it. I think it would be a little more on brand for Mike White to play the small and, and play um, Scotty Lewis out there at the four versus playing two bigs. Um, but I, I think, you know, this is like pure. I don't have any, any stats to back this up. Unlike it, very unlike, unlikely for me. But, um, uh, yeah, I do think that's uh, – I think, I think I'd like to see two bigs at times. Um, and I, I just, uh, you know, Florida had some trouble with teams, even like LSU at times that, uh, that rolled two bigs and made, um, made for some problems that way. Uh, so I would like to see them certainly try two bigs, and I'm sure they will. But it could very well be the uh, the small lineup with with Scotty Lewis at the four.
0: Um, the I'm not going to add anything to that because we've we've hit that one up. Um, Michael Pusatera, what kind of rotation do you expect given the final roster? We talked about the starters um, and the six man. Uh, how do we think that helps Trey? Man, kind of talked about that. I, I just think they want to simplify the game for Trey.
1: As much as possible, and make it about scoring. Yeah, I think if he gets out gets out with a bench lineup that's you know Gorzak, Gack, and uh, uh, maybe Quez Glover at the what even too. Uh, I think that you can just say like, hey, we can put the ball in, in Trey Man's hands and and give him a screen and, and kind of let him roll that way. And uh, talking about simplifying the game, maybe uh, maybe they play a little bit more Princeton Princeton offense uh, with the starters group, and then when it gets to uh, gets to man, you'd say, hey, let's go to motion a little bit, simplify the game, and, and see if you can make some moves one on one.
0: <clears throat> excuse me Chris Herbert uh, asked a good amount of people compare Blackshear to a less athletic Horford does that comparison hold merit is there a more recent and accurate collegiate comparison
1: uh, I actually like great question even, honestly I, I I find it so lazy at times especially so I was covering the draft for, for NBA Canada this year and just like it's so annoying to me when it's like oh a left-handed player needs to be compared to a left-handed player um, a European needs to be compared to a European and like so many people compare like a player from this school to another player that went to that school. And I think it's a little lazy at times, but honestly, I really do think Gary Blackshear reminds me of, of Al Horford, even just the like body composition wise, Blackshear is a bit bigger, uh, but even just kind of the, the way he's kind of got those, uh, um, it's kind of the like narrow high hips and, and broad shoulders and, and can move pretty well. So uh, that, that really does work. I'm actually going to do some research today just to see how similar statistically they, they may or may not be. I haven't started that, that research. Um, something that I thought was interesting um, just using Ken Palm, when you look at a player profile, it it, sh- it, it obviously takes all their stats and then finds um, players that are kind of similar. So uh, I thought it was kind of interesting to look at those, but Uh, just to see that he was kind of that his stats from last year were similar to Jonathan Motley in 2017, really good season. Um, Jarnell Stokes from 2014, uh, John Lawyer from uh, 2010. uh, Those are some of the names they had. And, you know, I don't think he's really Jarnell Stokes just because I think he's uh, has a lot more touch and is probably less, uh, you know, he's not kind of the shorter stout body type. Uh, Jonathan Motley was pretty interesting from a production standpoint um, but yeah, I, I do think it's a little tougher to find a more recent kind of comparable just because, uh, there's not as many good big men nowadays than there used to be.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's a really, I actually think it's a pretty good comparison and I'm not even sure, like, yes, Al Horford is more athletic. You know, he was a third overall pick in the draft. Um, but I think some of the, like one question I'm interested in Eric's kind of view on is I don't know where Horford, I don't think he'd be the third pick in the draft in today's NBA. No, like, <laughs> I just think I think that the like the athleticism questions about Horford that some people think have limited you know his ceiling from like all star to superstar, you know that kind of distinction um, that a lot of people make about him. I don't know if, if people just might have too many questions now, even coming out of college for him to have been drafted that high. Do I think he'd be a first round draft pick? Yeah, Grant Williams was, um, but you know I don't know if if uh if if it's like if there's like a huge gulf in athleticism between horford and Blackshear, I really don't you know maybe there is based on some of the things we saw at the combine, but you know who knows, but I do think it's a fair basketball comparison no i, I yeah thanks good one um in terms of let's see we had some more al Horford questions. he compares himself to horford uh, what do you think were the main factors that made him finally choose u f
1: I do think geography played a huge role. Um, I think that, uh, I think the basketball wise, he had a chance to. uh, I really do think this was the best blend of uh, he comes to Florida, and now they're, you know, a top 10 team in most people's minds. Um, And I think he has, honestly, like the perfect amount of role where it's not like he's not going to have to shoulder the entire kind of load like he did at Virginia Tech just due to injuries there. But it's not going to be maybe at Kentucky where there was a bit of a logjam at the position. I think it's just a perfect mix of. Uh, He's going to get just kind of the right amount of touches um, playing next to an excellent passer and Andrew Nemhart, some great shooters around him and the chance to play with some NBA talent, because I do think that, um, you know, people are talking about, yeah, playing next to NBA talent at Kentucky. This was something that you pointed out, Neil, a few podcasts ago. Um, You know, I think that, you know, Andrew Nemhart's probably going to the draft next year. I'd almost be certain about it. Um, I think Keontae Johnson is going to be someone who, who plays in the NBA. Um, Trey Mann uh, he's on that path as well so i mean there could be there could be a good amount of nba talent on this florida team something we haven't seen for a while and i just uh, i think they all fit to uh, to why it's the best fit for him
0: yeah uh a good question from uh david waterskater breakdown who's been a big supporter of Florida basketball hour um is you know is there a former uf big mandy comparison we talked about it as horford but i wanted to expand on that just with one final thought on that front is that one thing that made Horford so effective in college was the ability – well, obviously playing with Joe Kim Noah. Okay? But, but let's, uh, let's also add the, like, the ability of forward to roll out bigs beyond those guys, like Donovan being able to spell them with minutes. And Eric's hinted at it a little bit, but if Isaiah Stokes has lost 65 pounds, right, and the 10 minutes a game of Isaiah Stokes we get this season is far more productive than it was last season. Then you add a healthy Gorshak Gag to that equation. And then you add the energy of Dante Bassett. And Florida goes from suddenly having huge question marks at the four and five to, you know, in a perfect world, which we never live in in Florida basketball because sometimes we can't have nice things. But in a perfect world, there's a chance that in that grinding portion of the SEC schedule, the Gators are just w- rolling out waves of banks.
1: Right. And uh, that is a good point. And, and even just going to uh... – uh going to like who else does he compare to for florida bigs i think the other problem too is just uh, uh what or sorry i shouldn't say problem what makes what i guess really makes um what makes him so unique is his kind of his passing and i would say that's what makes him so different than any of these other florida bigs other than al horford um just but you know you know you just look back at um uh you you look back at like patrick young it's like well patrick young wasn't really like a ball mover uh vernon macklin ties. like these guys weren't like didn't have the kind of John Igbunu. Uh, they didn't kind of have, you didn't really run offense through them. They weren't threats passing the ball. They didn't quite have shooting. Um, the best I could find other than Al Horford is another, you know, very good Florida big in, in David Lee. Uh, David Lee actually, um, when you go back and look at his assist numbers and his assist rate and stuff like that, um, are actually kind of similar to Blackshear's um, and Horford's as well. So um, I bet, hey, I'd say that's pretty good company that if, uh, if the most comparable bigs to Blackshear are, uh, are David Lee and Al Horford.
0: Yeah, look, his body size and his offensive rebounding numbers actually compare to Vernon Macklin a little bit, right? Um, but Macklin was a far better rim protector and definitely more of a plus athlete, and not nearly the passer that that Blackshear was. Like Vernon Macklin's assist rate, for example, was seven point seven,
1: which is just,
0: <laughs> it's really low. Right, well, it's um, like average for like a center, and that's just yeah. what makes Blackshear so exactly so it's different. Not, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, but I'm just saying yeah. that's that the last are for like, it's not really comparable.
1: Right. Yeah. And black chairs um, is seventeen point three 17.3 um, for people to, to have for perspective. Um, yeah. So it's,
0: it's way different, but yeah, I mean, Vernon Macklin is a, is a guy that has like kind of a similar body type, mm-hmm. but had more spring in his step. Um, so you've, you've maybe seen a player like that before. Um. Art Vandelay, we'll just close with this one because um, this has been fun and I know everybody's really pumped. Uh, but Art ask, asks, uh, my only question is for Eric, should I put 5,000 <laughs> or 10,000 on the Gators to make the Final Four when I'm in Vegas this September?
1: Oh, my man, Matt. Um, yes, you should. <laughs> I mean, once again, I, I say this trying not to even sound like a massive homer, but <laughs> you, if you look at the teams that have won championships or made the Final Four in the past – recent history you can look back many years um it's a mix of do you have um returning talent do you uh, do you have some experience uh, do you have um nba one and done talent but it can't, we've kind of seen that it can't just be one and done talent it's got to be some returning guys that have some experience and you've got to have um yeah you've got to just usually have some upperclassmen florida and you have a good point guard yeah. And you have to have a good point guard And Florida doesn't really have a ton of the experience. They have some experience, of course, with Blackshear. Um, I would say they don't fully check that box, but at the same time, it's not like they're a bunch of one and done talent. Um, but you obviously have really good returning talent in, in Carrie Black, you know, returning, um, returning to college and Carrie Blackshear, Nemhart, Law, Keonta Johnson. And then you've got the NBA talent, uh, the, kind of the one and done level caliber guides of Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann. So Um, I just think if you actually look at um, kind of the profiles of the teams that have won, um, like, you know what, I know a lot of people are going to have Memphis above Florida in their preseason rankings. And I totally understand why. If there was Duke on that name of that recruiting class other than Memphis, it'd be unquestionably the number one team. Um, But there hasn't been teams like that to win the national championship. So I think Florida has a better chance of winning than they do. Um, Duke and Kentucky. Uh, same kind of things. They don't really have the, uh, the same returning caliber guys that Florida does while Florida also has comparable incoming talent with Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann. So I I really do think that Florida um, has a lot of these traits of teams that win championships. I'll say it.
0: Yeah, no, I think, uh, look, you know, I don't know about betting on final four, but I know that if I were going to pick a team that that could win the SEC championship next season, you know, I would say it's Florida or Kentucky and I'll offer a hot take. I like Florida's roster better than I like Kentucky's. I do too.
1: Um, I just think the pieces fit a little bit better together. And I think I'll take um, returning production over um, incoming production. That's one thing about Florida right now is like, yes, I fully expect Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann to be good. Um, even if they disappoint, Florida is still going to be okay. Like they still have really good other pieces. Um, some of these other teams that have their five-star talent coming in, they need those guys to produce at a high level. So uh, that's what kind of makes Florida – a little bit better in my mind.
0: Yeah, no, hard to uh, hard to argue with that. Anybody that that has been um, listening, you know, for a long time, uh, thank you for doing that. Anybody that's new, uh, we welcome you. We hope you'll you'll check in and and listen throughout the season. We really appreciate it. Uh, make sure that you go to Spotify, give us a heart, or go to iTunes, give us a rating, write a review. All those things matter because they just bump up kind of the visibility of the show. Uh, so, you know, certainly we would really appreciate that, but it's an exciting time for Florida Gators basketball. And, um, thanks for being with us today.